We're living in an era of information overload. We've more knowledge than ever before. But what do we do with it all? Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organise and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but for getting inspired. Notion is the AI-powered workspace where the everyday takes care of itself. Meetings have summaries, Docs find themselves and every question has an answer because Notion AI turns knowledge into action. And I know that myself because I once asked it to write an introduction for a How to Fail episode. And I have to say, it was so helpful and so convincing. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com forward slash fail. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com forward slash fail fail and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you're supporting our show. Notion.com forward slash fail. This special one-off mini-series of How to Fail is sponsored by Grey Goose. Grey Goose believe in live victoriously because life, as we know, is full of moments, big and small, planned and spontaneous, and those moments need something worthy of the occasion. They deserve to be celebrated. Grey Goose does just this, a vodka of unique quality, expertly crafted for smoothness and exceptional taste, made with the finest ingredients, single origin Picardy wheat and spring water from natural limestone. A distinctive vodka made without compromise to elevate any moment. Grey Goose brings fun and positivity whatever the occasion you're marking, because when you live victoriously, you transform those moments into lasting memories. Thank you very much to Grey Goose, and please drink responsibly. Hello, it's Elizabeth Day here, and welcome to this one-off special mini-series of How to Fail. Now, one of the things that you wonderful listeners have repeatedly asked me to do is to feature normal people as guests on the podcast. But of course, there's no such thing as a normal person. We are all unique and interesting and resilient and contradictory and loving and wise and funny and sad and experienced in our own particular ways. We all have our stories to tell. So in the next four episodes, I'm doing something slightly different. You'll hear from people who aren't necessarily household names about who they are and the moments that shaped them. You'll hear from them about what it means to live victoriously. It's a different format from usual. We're not discussing three failures, but we are talking about resilience and what it means to live a fulfilled life. We're talking about difficulties that have been overcome, lessons that have been learned, gratitude that has been earned and the joy of celebrating the everyday. This is how to fail as you've never heard it before. Ordinary people, extraordinary stories. Four weeks, four different lives. Because we can learn from everyone if we just listen carefully enough. Today's guest is Ross Barr. Hello, I'm Ross Barr and I'm a five element acupuncturist and fertility specialist. Hello, Ross Barr. You are also one of my dearest friends and it is such a delight to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. 
delighted <laughs> to be here, I think. For anyone who is uninitiated and who hasn't ever had acupuncture, will you describe exactly what five element acupuncture is and what you do exactly? The biggest difference with five element acupuncture, I think, compared to traditional Chinese medicine is that our aim is for you to feel not just physiologically or physically better, but emotionally better. You should really describe feeling like the version of yourself that you prefer after you've seen a five element acupuncturist. A patient once beautifully described it that way to me, and I thought that really summed it up nicely. I have to say that when I first came to you, I was at a very adrenalized point in my life, I think, where I felt low, but I didn't know why. And that's exactly how I would put it, that every time I'm treated by you, I walk out afterwards and I feel so much calmer, almost like lightly stoned. And whenever I go and buy a tea or a sandwich afterwards, I notice that people respond to me so much better because I think my face has lost its tension. So how many people do you see? <laughs> You're not frowning. Exactly. I'm not frowning all of the time. But how many people do you see who are really tense, but they don't know it about themselves? I think a lot of people don't realise how they're feeling until they're not feeling that way. You know, in that way that we do, we often describe ourselves as feeling fine. And it's only till you feel somewhat different or hopefully when you're leaving that you realise that you feel completely different than when you came in. That's how I feel when I come out of a session. And how did you get into acupuncture in the first place? And where did you grow up, first of all? I grew up, my Scottish mother and father, a big Scottish family, and we, I grew up near Oxford, which was a lovely place to grow up. I got into acupuncture because my lovely mum suggested that me and my brothers go and get some acupuncture. Our father died out of the blue when I was, I think I was about 20 now, and she recommended that we give it a try because it helped her through so many different situations. I didn't know it was good for grief or bereavement or heartbreak or any of those things, but yeah, so I think I went two weeks after it happened. Yeah, it was kind of a night and day thing going in and coming out of there. It, it's a kind of a cliche when you, you end up doing something you look, well, let me put it this way. I had no intention of ever being an acupuncturist until I experienced what it did for me. And it just made such a huge fundamental difference to how I dealt with the whole thing. So that was really the start of it, I think. I'm so sorry about your dad. What was it like for you losing him so suddenly when you were still so young? I think when you look, when I look back at it now, or when you get further away from it, you look back on it and you, I think you view it very differently. I mean, you, I think you kind of think about it as a kid growing up, you think about the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you. And I think that was definitely it. And it knocks your legs away from you. It kind of rips your chest out. It takes you to a place you've never experienced before. But then I was, you know, looking back on it now, if it wasn't for that experience, I think actually I was speaking to my little brother about this not that long ago. And I, I think we both, and my older brother actually, we both, just, we all described, we're very, not, grateful is not a word, but I think, I don't think I'd be as happy as I am now if it hadn't happened in many respects. So as brutal as it was, I look back on it now with, I'm not sure if fondly is the right word, but with a different viewpoint on it, I think. It kind of made you into the person that you are. And you said there that it was like night and day when you had your first acupuncture treatment. Yeah. How did it help lift well, your grief or how did it help you process it? I mean, I remember walking there in a complete state of shock. I think it was two weeks after it happened. And I met this lovely, lovely man who I'd never had acupuncture before. I was <laughs> very sceptical, but I believed in what my mum said to me. 
And we talked about shock a, a little bit. And, and I remember there's great descriptions about shock in Chinese medicine and it being like, sounds a wee bit hocus pocusy, but they, anyone who's experienced shock, I think probably it resonates with, but they say your spirit kind of jumps out of your body temporarily. And then it, it doesn't quite reside fully back in and you get left with this very strange feeling that you're on a kind of weird autopilot. A patient described it to me very recently. She said she, she felt like she was standing behind herself, observing herself go through life. Wow. And I think that's a great description of shock. And that's kind of how I, I went going in, pretty numb, exhausted, just in a lot of pain. And this lovely fellow who instantly I spoke to yesterday on the phone for the first time in about 15 years, just out of the blue, he burnt some herbs on me. He, he did some acupuncture points on me that I now know very well. Some of them have got lovely names. They're very pertinent to what's going on with you at the time. And, you know, I just remember walking out there and thinking, how is it that something so bad has happened? But, yeah, I kind of feel like everything actually be okay. And I felt like myself. I felt like that I was able to engage with people in a way that I'd want to. Or I'd, you know, I'd better have a laugh again for sure. So it was mm. night and day. And I would say probably from that moment, I kind of fell in love with the medicine. And I saw this guy on an off-road, so, you know, I still speak to him now, obviously. And you mentioned there the notion that it's a, some people can find it a bit hocus-pocus, but actually there's thousands of years behind this medicine. And so it outdates Western medicine by quite some margin. So yeah, yeah, it it's, it's like a scientific thing, isn't it, Ross? <laughs> I mean, that's 5,000 years of what scholarship, study, trial and error. I mean, it's, it's hugely scientific in the East. And Western medicine is wonderful as it is, is maybe, I don't know, maybe 180 years old at best. You could look at it that way, it's 5,000 years worth. It's not hocus pocus. As somebody said to me yesterday, is, is it one of those medicines where does it work if you don't believe in it? And it works full stop, providing we as practitioners get our diagnosis right, we get the right points, we do our job properly. It's not like it works for some people and not others. You are now one of the most sought after acupuncturists not just in the country, but in the world, because famously you treated the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, who some of us might have heard of. <laughs> and it's now increasingly difficult for your regular clients to get an appointment, but I'm not complaining. But is your mother quite smug that she was the one who led you down this path? <laughs> well, funny enough, my mum is an incredible woman, but she, um, actually, I remember my little brother saying to her, he impressed Rossi's treatment making an arrow and she went ah come and see me when you treat the queen then i'll be impressed <laughs> <laughs> keep I your feet on the ground um, i think that's how <laughs> yeah. you're not really allowed to get above yourself within a scottish family do you know what that's kind of what she's like when you treat royalty i know you treat all your clients as royalty and you're incredibly respectful and would never dream of breaking anyone's confidence. But I wanted to ask from your perspective, was it intimidating the first time you went to stick needles into Harry and Meghan? Yeah, of course. Okay. But you know, if intimidating is the right word, I think there's, there's, you know, when you're out of your comfort zone and when you're visiting a different premise and going to somebody's house or a palace, it is out of your comfort zone. But I think that dissipates within a couple of minutes when you really start talking to one another, you know, whether it's you or Meghan and Harry or the Queen or my mum, for instance. I think, yeah, there's a healthy amount of nerves. But when you get into it and when you get down to the crux of what you're trying to do and treat somebody, I think that soon goes. I think when you do this job as well, 
You're in a privileged position whereby you treat many different people from many different demographics, many different backgrounds, and you just realize they're all just exactly the same. Also, I get to see the vulnerabilities of individuals, so I get to see their kind of true self, and that's not intimidating. Yeah, I mean, you've seen me cry probably 85% of the time that we spend together, which (laughs) is not to do with you. You could argue that you've probably been one of the most intimidating people I've met. Shut up, (laughs) as if. (laughs) Not in the slightest. What is the most common thing that people come to see you about, or rather the most common thing that you end up treating? I think the last few weeks has been very unique. There's been so much future fantasized scenarios or future fantasized violations and, and what ifs that all of us have been performing, that that causes a kind of rise in adrenaline and the endocrine system. And, you know, adrenaline is designed for us to sort of risk assess and evade danger. And we've been running on it for a good while now. We're only supposed to run on it for sort of short periods of time, but with all the uncertainty, there's so much risk assessment and what ifs, and, and that can lead to catastrophizing and feeling completely out of control. Largely, what we've been doing in the last few weeks is just trying to calm that down, just trying to help people, just ground them again and just get them feeling like the more rational version of themselves. And interestingly, in the last couple of, I think when people know what's happening, now the lockdown is announced and we know where we're at with it, in some ways that actually makes people feel, I'm sure it's better is the right word, but at least there's no more future fantasizing. They now know what's expected or what's happening. So that's calmed down a wee bit. Yeah, I, make I, it makes total sense. And I feel exactly like that. So just to be clear for anyone listening, we're recording this the second day of the second national lockdown. And I have definitely felt better now that there's a clarity to my situation. The limbo and the uncertainty was really stressful. Whereas now I know where I stand and I can adapt my expectations accordingly. I know that you in the past have done work with Cambodian orphans in helping them process trauma. So what was that like, first of all? It was interesting to use the medicine in an environment like that, because I think initially acupuncture was used in those sorts of environments in very poor areas because it's very cheap. It's very effective. And you get good results very quickly. And there was a lot of trauma in the areas that I worked in. And I was treating a lot of shock, not just children, but people who have lived through the Khmer Rouge. There was a very particular type of shock and trauma there. And so they're great points for treating that. The shock I described earlier when I talked about losing my dad, when you feel like you're not quite residing in yourself or you, you feel like you're in a weird autopilot. With this medicine, there's a very particular pulse quality and a very particular look in somebody's eyes when somebody's experiencing that or have that. And so a lot of what we were treating was that type of thing, but also there was no healthcare service there. So I remember a lady who was, who was maybe our age and she had had a stroke six months before and there's no healthcare. So she lost a job. She lost her husband. She was living on a mate's sofa and, and one of her arms was contorted and stuck. So we just worked on that every day to work on and getting the mechanics about that. And it was wonderful to use medicine in that scenario because you get to treat people really intensively on a daily basis and you can see from start to finish, you get great results. Whereas I guess here we I'd be more likely to treat somebody weekly, but there it was day in, day out. And it was, yeah, very satisfying. I also have to say what's also interesting as well is you go to different corners of the world and most of what I was doing was through an interpreter. And the first couple of patients that I saw were coming in with <laughs> one lady, it was all done through an interpreter, but she was basically telling me that her boyfriend had really pissed her off. And 
literally just the same things that we treat here, just in different parts of the world. I love it. That is so exactly what you were saying earlier about how we are so connected by our vulnerabilities and that as soon as you start treating yeah. someone, you see how similar we all are, whatever part of the world we come from. I love that. What percentage of the people that you see are men and what percentage are women? I think it's probably about 20% men, 80% women, I would say. And why do you think that is? Yeah. Do you think it's that women have more problems or that they're more willing to try something slightly different? I think women are more complex physiologically. And as a result of that, there is when you treat a man and you sort of get them to the state of balance, they generally stay there for a wee bit longer. But as a woman, you know, you've got various different stages of your cycle. You've got ovulation, you've got your period, there's blood loss. And there's much more to tip the scales more often. So I think women generally need slightly more, for want of a better word, maintenance throughout the cycle, but throughout life as well. I mean, they're just more impressive, full stop, you know. <laughs> when you aren't some special beings is basically what you're saying. They are. They are. Yeah, you soon learn <laughs> that when you do this job. Tell us what the five elements themselves are. The crux of it is that when you're born, everyone's consists of five elements, which are fire, earth, water, metal and wood. And depending on who you are, one of those elements is always slightly out of kilter from the rest. And that's where your physiological and psychological kind of emotional attributes come from. You know, when you think about the amount of water we have in our bodies or the amount of metals we have in our blood, it's more from that angle. We all have tendencies. What this medicine does is really when you diagnose what element somebody is and their character, there will be a certain set of points that would be tailor-made for that individual. And there would be a certain set of emotions that they would experience more than other emotions when they're out of balance or imbalanced. Does that make sense? It do- makes total sense. And I, and I also wanted to say to the listeners that some of the things that you've said to me have been so exceptionally insightful about my character. So I'm a fire element and that means that I require my fire stoking. So sometimes I feel needy for kind of approbation and I have a very strong sense of fairness and if something is unjust that will really really bother me and you can tell this stuff from putting two of your fingers on the pulse in my wrist and I found it incredibly helpful physically but also therapeutically you are a really lovely person to talk to and you are someone who is exceptional at listening have you always been a good listener (laughs) maybe I thought you were going to make a joke there and be like, sorry, what did you say? (laughs) Come again? (laughs) I grew up in a a relatively noisy household. I think, yeah, maybe I have. It was maybe through laziness more than anything, to be honest. (laughs) But how much is being a therapist part of what you do? That's a difficult one to answer because I think what is great, I can see where people think it or it feels like therapy. And it's one, you're really listening to somebody and you're really trying to get to the bottom of what's going on with them. And the five element system is great for really helping people understand why they might be feeling some emotions more than others or why those emotions that they're experiencing are having a physiological effect on them. For instance, if somebody is going through a really frustrating time or they're involved in a battle or they feel particularly stagnant or stuck in a situation, that has a very profound effect on them physiologically you know that can lead to things like painful periods or headaches or or neck tension when you talk that through with somebody and together we we both understand where it's coming from like you said earlier you can just i think it makes a massive difference to understand why we're behaving the way we are in certain situations 
and also to know that sometimes it's as, as a result of a physiological imbalance and that we are not crazy as we sometimes feel like we are. So mm-hmm. I think from that point of view, it's very therapeutic. I just think it's about understanding ourselves a wee bit more. This mini-series is all about celebrating and marking everyday moments that sometimes we forget about or we're so obsessed with our quest for perfection and the ultimate moment that will make everything make sense. Is acupuncture a good way of kind of levelling that out and helping you take gratitude in the everyday? I think a good session will give you a type of internal peace that we strive for and is very difficult to obtain. And so when you've got that internal peace, I think you're much more likely to enjoy what's going on in front of you. There are great points for invigorating the senses that are said to really help you enjoy what's good about your life, whether it's sight, smell, taste. For me, personally, I do just feel like the version of myself that I prefer, and I think that means I'm probably able to be a bit more present in what I'm doing. I'm quicker to laugh and find things funny. Actually, someone described to me brilliantly earlier, she was saying that where she'd been worrying last week about something, after her treatment, she said that she was trying to latch on to those same things and she couldn't find the worry in them anymore. She just said that she found that she wasn't giving a shit about the things that she really was obsessing about mm-hmm. last week. If that answers your question, yeah, I think so. I think so. It does answer my question. And are you one of those people who applies your holistic treatment to the rest of your life so that you are constantly downing wheatgrass shots and making Buddha bowls and doing yoga poses at sunset? Are you one of those, Ross? Well, I'm all for balance. I would generally say that I am extremely healthy 80% of the time and then pretty unhealthy the rest of the time. I know it's unhealthy. What I've learned over the years, I think, is that the happiest people that I treat and see or I observe are the ones that get that sort of balance. I've seen a lot of people really strive for health and fitness, and they kind of do it to the detriment of peace. And that becomes itself a type of imbalance, or they become really depleted or really anxious about what they're eating or obsessed. And and I think that the happiest folk I observe, and for me, that the happiest place to be is where you, if you're looking after yourself 80% of the time and do the basics right, three meals a day, don't drink during the week, mostly, don't hammer coffee, eat good food. I always think that that can give you a type of robustness that when you do that other 20%, you do it wholeheartedly with, you know, complete gay abandon and no guilt. And then I don't think it paints a, really a bad picture on you then. If you do the 80-20% thing, I think when you're in that 20%, you just enjoy it wholeheartedly and it won't affect you in the way that you fear. An inability to say no, is that something that you see a lot of? Yes, without a doubt, without a doubt. I think that kind of manifests itself in people finding it very difficult to do less. Mm. And I've noticed a trend in the last maybe five to ten years. It, things used to be about, or for me, in clinic it used to be about you know people wanting to become healthier. So it was possibly getting to do more exercise or, or eating well or, or better rather, or be healthier in that respect. And now I think it's about trying to get people just to do less. There's so much adrenaline around. There's so much connection online that people are so wired. I was laughing with somebody about it last week about just trying to go a bit more 1990s on things. I was talking to my lovely nephew about this, actually. I was asking him about him watching a, a movie that I love, and he said he'd seen it. And I said, what did you think about it? He said, yeah, it's all right. You know, it's, yeah, it's fine. And I said, did you actually watch it, though? He said, what do you mean? And his generation will generally watch something while doing something else. 
And yeah. you, know, you know what it's like sometimes when you're half asked watching something on Netflix and then you're messing around on your phone or on your laptop, you're not fully engaged. I remember in the 1990s, one of the great privileges of having a VHS machine is you put it in, you'd sit there and you'd fully invest in it. And as a result of that, you would enjoy a movie for all it was worth. The same with reading a book. You'd sit down and read a hard copy of a book and do with your phone off in another room and fully embed yourself in that book. That is not easy for a lot of people these days. Certainly for a lot of people I see. And I've noticed that be a real barometer for when people get better, that they'll come back in and, and they'll say, you know, just I had a, a lady said to me, she read two books last week and she hadn't read a book in six months. And we were both delighted. She loves reading and she hadn't been able to buckle down and be on the page long enough because she was so anxious about so many other things. So, you know, we grew up in that era. I think the way I look, it's easy to look back with nostalgia, but we were able to do one thing at one time and fully embed ourselves in it. And that's a lovely thing. And, and I think that's with some patients recently, that's what we've been trying to get to. That's so interesting because I completely hear what you're saying there was a really big trend for scandinavian police procedurals a few years ago oh they were so good the killing the bridge borgen all of them and i got really into them and i realized that part of the reason i was enjoying them so much was precisely that sense of being embedded because i had to read the subtitles so there was no way that i could also be looking at my phone and it was such a satisfying experience because of it well, something happens to you physiologically as well. For me, it's kind of modern day meditation that it's very difficult to go from a place of being completely wired and stressed to be able to do meditation. And I think I remember someone telling me once that meditation was a kind of gift for the healthy. And I think it's very true. I think it can be kind of torturous if you're going from a place of trauma or, or a high stress or to try and meditate. But if those stepping stones in between, watching a film, watch, reading subtitles, reading a book, if you do those things and you give yourself over to it, and the cinema, of course, then physiologically what you find is all your cortisol and adrenaline falls back into where it came from. And it's a really good way to relax. I love it. So me watching The Real Housewives is actually a stepping stone to a more enlightened self. <laughs> is that relaxing? <laughs> it's so relaxing. It's brilliant. I've, never, um, I've heard you mention it a few times over the years. But I'm never, <laughs> do you know what? I'm going to have a little watch tonight. Is, it, it's is because, there a particular, a particular area they're from, these housewives? There are various different franchises, Ross, in different cities, but I would recommend The Real Housewives of New York as being the peerless one. But the reason I find it interesting... Just a little note. Yeah, you do that, is that this is a really big leap, but it sort of goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning about what connects us being stronger than what divides us, because you get these groups of women from such different strata of life, and what's fascinating is seeing how they communicate with each other and how friendships are formed and how arguments roll out of all proportion and it sort of teaches you about human nature so that's my very kind of highbrow bid for why people should watch Real Housewives I know I'll probably cut this out no bringing it back onto you Ross I was warned before I came to see you for the first time by my friend who referred me she said you know I've got to warn you he is distractingly handsome so don't be shocked (laughs) when you see him and it's become something that is mentioned in every single newspaper profile that is done of you with one journalist describing you as a Disney prince and I almost just want to say that to embarrass you because I know that you're an incredibly humble unego driven person but what is that like like like? yes how does it feel when you read that about yourself is it 
embarrassing or nice? Yes. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to be precious about it. It'd be nice to be talked about for the medicine. I mean, it's not one of the worst problems to have, is it? Someone describing <laughs> you like that. I've been described as worse by people that really know me. I, uh, and didn't one of your friends constantly send you pictures of Disney the, princes? Oh, Jesus. It's just the abuse I get. Journalists know this as well. It's the abuse you get from your inner circle and I would be, yeah. <laughs> what if someone is yeah. listening to this now and they've never had acupuncture before and they're scared of needles, what would you say to them? What would I say? We use very few. It's not how it's always depicted on the likes of Sex in the City and other TV programmes. We'd maybe use anywhere from sort of four to ten. They're very fine, delicate little things. They're very elegant. You will feel it. I wouldn't say it hurt. It doesn't hurt, no. It it resonates with a little ache. But then you know something's happening as well, so you should feel it. Mm. But I would say Um, the benefits far outweigh the fear of it. And finally, Ross, you mentioned earlier that every point has a name that can be really poetic. And I know I have my favourite point names, but what's your favourite point name? Some of them I adore because you see what they do for folk and the difference it makes with people. There's one in particular I love that's called Spirit Burial Ground. And there's another one called Spirit Storehouse. And they're used in conjunction when somebody is really struggling or they're on the floor. And they're, they're what we call resurrection points. And you would often warm herbs on these points and then you would use needles on them. And they're really great for when somebody's really hit rock bottom or they don't know whether they've got anything left in them to keep going. And I've just seen them work wonders on people and sort of bring them back into themselves and, and just give them a wee bit more. The spirit storehouse is lovely because the Chinese, the story about it depicts someone going out to a storehouse at the end of their garden just to get extra grain for when they really need it. Wow. And, and that's and, what and it what, does for folk. Whereabouts is it on the body? If I tell you this, you're going to start self-administering. No. It's kind of on the... <laughs> no. I know what you're like. I promise. I just get my school compass out. Yeah. (laughs) It's around around the heart area. I'll say that. Okay. chest. Okay. My favourite one's called something like the Whispering Palace. (laughs) Heavenly Palace, yes. That's a lovely heart point. That works wonders on you. Is that actually what it's called, if I remembered that right? A lot of the points have about two or three different names. It depends on the translation, but that's near enough, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> also, there's probably acupuncture students listening to this going, it's not called that at all. <laughs> I've just got it wrong. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter if you've got it wrong because failure is what makes us human. And that's what we're all yes. about here. And I cannot thank you enough for agreeing to be interviewed by me. I know it's awkward being asked questions by a friend, but you have been an absolute wonder. And you are a really fantastic acupuncturist and human being. Thank you so, so much for coming on my podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode of How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, I would so appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it helps other people know that we exist.